This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, how do we combat COVID-19 vaccine misinformation? Well, Spotify says they're trying to do it. We chat with Dr. Bondi K, lecturer of digital communication at the School of Communication, Queensland University Technology in Brisbane. How's that a title? I talked about how streaming services are combating misinformation and helps us understand what's going on and the consequences of it too. Also, psychedelic drugs. We introduce you to a new one, toad venom. They are being used therapeutically now in different ways to help with mental illness, depression, and other things. Toad Venom, not really on that list yet, but it is starting to catch on with famous folks and celebrities as a way to shatter your ego and open your mind. So if Toad Venom is on the list of things you would like to try, just be careful, okay? Plus, are you okay with private jets? Do you want to own one? This is the Shift Podcast. It is time for Are You Okay With... We give you a bunch of topics and ask you if, if you're okay with them. Lightening the load from this Monday morning here on The Shift. Are you okay with private jets? Well, in theory, private jets seem like a nice thing. or like a nice uh, amenity to have in life if I were perhaps in the class of people that uh, mm. can enjoy private jets. I myself have never been on a private jet. I haven't even flown first class. I'm a, I'm a hardcore, hardcore working class folk to the end, I guess. Yeah. Oh, so that's fun. private jets okay. seem like fun, though. Now, I have a friend who flies a private jet. And I've always been told this is, what do you want from life? Do you want to fly the jet? Or do you want to own the jet and ride in the back? I always thought Dexter from Offspring had it right. He had his own citation, but he also flew it. So he had a pilot with him everywhere he went. But he, if he wanted to fly it that day, he could fly it. And if he wanted to sit in the back, he sit in the back. I always thought that, that was the way to go, you know? Well, you know, Dexter did end up going bankrupt because he bought so many planes. Um, <laughs> he's actually, the rumor is that that's why they even got back together and started yeah. making new music. He needs to make some money back. He bought too many planes. Noodles, on the other hand, uh, drove around in a camper and went fishing in between cities. On well, their tour. Opposites work, you know. It's it's the old positive negative thing on the batteries. It's opposites attract, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a it's a neat story, and I've never been on a private jet. I mean, been on a private jet, but I've never flown on a private jet. I've taken a tour, gone and sat in the seats and looked at the bathrooms and how immaculate they are, and been told the stories about how the flight attendant really basically just you know, makes cookies and prepares food. And that's it. It sounds like fun. Baking some cookies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've never been on one or had the luxury of being able to travel on one. I just feel like, you know, we've talked a lot about ego here on the show tonight. I feel like my ego would be overflowing. Like you would open that door and you could just, it would just like pour out as you walk out. And I, I feel like I'd walk onto the apron and I'd be like, here I am. Look at me coming out of the small door of a private jet. I don't know. I think for myself, I don't really indulge too much. I think that I really? would underuse the time. That. Yeah, I'd probably underuse the time on a private jet. I'd probably stay in my seat, fully seat belted and just like, just be like, ooh, maybe I'll have the sparkling water instead of the regular water. <laughs> You're a crazy person. I don't know how you survive. <laughs> um, so how about this? A t rich people have jets. That's the fundamental point you need to take away here. And Brennan and I do not. A teenager from Florida rejected a $5,000 offer from Elon Musk to delete a Twitter account. A Twitter account, $5,000. Pretty sure Elon Musk made that since I started telling this story. What kind of Twitter account would you have to have in order for Elon Musk to want it to go away? It's a Twitter account that tracks where his private jet is. Um, I don't know. He probably, So he got further blocking with his plane, a further step, but I can still track it. So we'll, what, how far it goes from here, but I can still track the plane. He can put a rocket into space. He can create a self-driving car. And forgive me, but a 19-year-old college freshman can track his private jet. How does that work? Um, so all planes, you know, they have transponders and they transmit their location. And basically anybody with like $100 of equipment can track it. And 
people around the world, they have a network of these and I get data from that network and I analyze it and put it to Twitter. That, that, that's great. So obviously nothing you're doing is illegal. Um, is yeah, there, no. in, in, in fairness, we're looking at some of the direct messages from you and Elon Musk. You offered $50,000. He went back and forth. Then you said, hey, how about an internship? He hasn't responded to you asking for that, have it, has he? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, so I don't know about negotiation, but I do know that trying to extort your way into a career is probably not the best way. No. I think if he had said right up front $5,000, and if he just said, look, I'd love to work for you one day, mentor me. I mean, he's already created a Twitter account that follows his jet and tweets every time it takes off, lands, and moves. That's kind of fun. I think that's very nerdy. No, I'd be, I would be flattered, to be honest. For five grand. Five grand. And then he's like, nah, 50 grand. Ah, what about this? Ah, what about that? So, obviously, Elon Musk doesn't want anyone to be able to um, follow him along. Wherever he goes, it's unsafe. Flight Radar 24, by the way, you can basically follow. If you know the tail number, you can search that plane and find out where it is. It's one of the coolest things, actually. There's a NASA plane that does like a saddle or like a telescope on it that flies over all the time to look out into the space things. I follow a group of airplane spotters out of Calgary uh, on Facebook, and that's all they talk about. And they're like, oh, look, here it's flying by again. And you look up, and it's like, oh, there it is. So I don't know. Apparently, this guy also has tracked other celebrities' private jets with other accounts like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. It seems like a good opportunity for me to um, to just read out of context some of Elon Musk's tweets. Oh, yeah. I I've, I follow his Twitter simply oh, for the you? entertainment value. It's, it's just weird. wild. Okay. Here we go. Out of context, Elon Musk tweets. Halo Infinite campaign is good. For unknown reasons, excuse me, for reasons unknown, POTUS is unable to say the word Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. There's a picture, I think, of the uh, of the truck convoy in Canada. Yeah, he's actually tweeted some support for that, I've noticed, mm -hmm. over the last few days. There was a really great follow-up when he said, you know, I support Canadian truckers, and then someone replied, until you create autonomous trucks and destroy their careers. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Okay, the next one is the 25-second unskippable ad, and then me looking away so they don't win. I've done that before. You're like, I'm not yeah. going to watch it. You don't get to market to me. Yeah, I've, I saw that one, too, and I actually wholeheartedly agree with that one. I do that one all the time, to be honest. Just rewatched True Romance. Lie back and think of Mars. Um, thermodynamics and statistical mechanics. The universe is a hydrogen sonata. Disney in the streets, euphoria in the sheets. And can like a tweet from this guy cause ripples on the stock market? Like seriously. Mm -hmm. Oh, he can. He does very much so. Um, he's he's borderline on the the land of conspiracy in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, you know, has a pretty good perspective. At least a call it an interesting perspective on life. Anyway, uh, if you ever want to make some money, just create a Twitter account that. Follow, I mean, to me, that's what it is. It's an invitation for everyone else to create a Twitter account if they want a five thousand dollar payday from. Uh, Elon Musk. There'll be a hundred of them tomorrow. $5,000 won't get you much these days anyway. Oh, that's changed my life. I don't know about you there, rich guy. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be gone in like two months here in Vancouver. $5,000? Like, eh. Well, if you had a private jet, it would probably be spent before you even took off in fuel. Yeah, so. That's true. Yeah. Are you okay with the goat? Are you okay with the goat? Which goat? Ah, greatest of all time, the goat. Um, it's, it's kind of a saying that I find kind of obnoxious, to be honest. Um, it depends, I guess, who the goat is referring to. Mm. But I always found it kind of an annoying saying, like, he's the goat. It sounds kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the OG. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I liked OG a little better. Maybe just because that brings me back to a time when I was younger. It was used a the lot. The original gangsta. Well, yeah. it was originally gangsta rap, right? Like, that's yeah. kind of what it was. Yeah. But, all right. Um, Is the greatest quarterback of all time... Actually, you know what? Wait. What if the GOAT is a GOAT? What if it's the greatest GOAT of all time? Well, that's what it makes me think of. That's, I think, why I don't like the saying. It, it makes me think of a physical GOAT. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a compliment. No, I don't know if it is. I really don't. Is the greatest quarterback of all time retiring? Question mark. Wide to the left. Looking the other way. Brady going deep down the right sideline for Evans. He makes the catch. He's in for the score. They're going to roll the coverage over the top. And on the other side, Mike Evans is going to be one-on-one -on -one against Jalen Ramsey. Brady saw that defense roll that way, and he said, I'm coming right back to my guy. This is best against best. This is Evans against Ramsey. And it is Evans who has made it a game. It's amazing. So... Tom Brady has an undeniable leading record on all the things. And it was announced that he was retiring this weekend. And then it was undo, undo, control Z, control Z. Uh, no, that's not a thing. Somebody had posted on there because Zidane Chara in the NHL is the only other person that's as old as he is in mainstream professional sports. And so they said, now Zidane Chara is the goat. Now, Zidane Chara is amazing. Uh, and has had all kinds of great success. He has not had the kind of success that Tom Brady has had. Let's put it that way. Tom Brady was actually drafted very, very low, if you didn't know that. So Tom Brady was supposed to, according to this, retire, and then that was on the Internet. And this is a great example why you shouldn't believe what's on the Internet all the time. Then, by the way, um, numerous sources says he retired and went on vacation. His agent and his dad and the team's general manager said he's not retiring so uh, I, I guess that makes him still the greatest of all time, but not really. I guess. You know who the real GOAT is throughout all of this and in, in that audio there? I think the GOAT is Al Michaels. Man, he's been announcing sports since the late 70s, and he still sounds just as good. I'm a fan of announcers more than I am of the athletes. <laughs> That's good. Although I did hear a couple of terrible ones in hockey this weekend. They don't need to be named. doesn't matter. But mm -hmm. there are some terrible. There are some amazing yeah. announcers. And there are some terrible ones. Well, I like Chris Cuthbert's really good. Yeah. Uh, Rick Ball is also one of my favorites. He's just like, he reminds me of the video games because he yeah, did Yeah. Like in the play-by-play -play game, you can go forever. Those play-by-play -play guys go well into their 70s and even 80s mm -hmm. in some cases. But some of them some of them age better than others. Like Al Michaels, I believe, is close to 80, possibly 80. And he's still, still got the voice and he still sounds just as good anytime I put on Sunday Night Football and hear Al Michaels, he still sounds just as good as he did on Monday Night Football in the mid-90s. He's still holding it together. And then some of the other ones age and it's kind of like, ooh. Mm -hmm. They're just well, there. John Madden yeah. was one of the best of all time, but as he got older, he just didn't make as much sense anymore. And his color commentary was things like, in order to win the hockey game, or in order to win the football game, uh, you got to score more points than the other team. <laughs> like, that <laughs> yeah. was the color commentary at that point. So, yeah, uh, good stuff, though. Yeah. Not an easy job, I got to tell you. I, I did it actually just today for my son's hockey game. I had to fill in on the old Facebook stream. And um, it's a lot of talking. <laughs> It's a, it's hard to not be critical. Be like, oh, that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's my son. I can say that on here, right? It's a lot of talking. Oh. And I think when you do it like professionally on, on TV, I mean, you got your director in your ear and you're reacting to things as they happen and you have to say a coherent sentence at the same time. Like it has to be coherent. I hear a lot of announcers too that I'm just like, oh, that didn't make any sense at all. Not that I'm the greatest speaker, but I'm not doing play by play. <laughs> True. I like it. Are you okay with, since we're talking about football, and the halftime lineup, because we're two weeks away now from the, the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. this is interesting to me. Are you okay with the artists this year on the halftime show? Absolutely. I am okay with it. I think it's dynamite. I think it's one of the best target targeted 
halftime shows in a very long time. Well, I'm going to learn something here because I don't even know who they are, to be honest. Let me help you with that. Okay. I can help you with that. All right, right? let's like learn. This. Yeah. That was the explicit version. My apologies. Hit that button. Um, the uh, the uh, still DRE, language. Dr. Dre, and Snoop, all there going to be a part of it. And not only them. You talk about some of the most impactful people. Eminem. Um, Faith Evans is going to be there, too. Which is one of the, uh, this one's clean. Uh, this halftime show is going to be one of the best of all time. Hands down. Like, you know how Prince was amazing? This is the 90s, 80s into 90s hip hop that shaped pop music. And the amount of songs that have been impacted by these people is staggering where it's going to go. So these are the, these are the, um, this is going to be an amazing halftime show. So if it's Snoop, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar is also going to be there too. Mary J. Blige, all in this show. How, what do you think? How long is the halftime? Like, how can they fit all these people? I know they do like half songs basically, but mm. still, that's a lot of people to fit into like 20 minutes, right? Yeah, I didn't even think it's that long. Is it like 12 minutes of music? I don't Something know. Something like that, yeah. The, um, last year with the weekend, because there was reduced capacity, he did this amazing set, all the mirrors and through the stands. And, you know, they did this, didn't do the show on the field like they normally do. They used that one piece of the stands, which was cool. How they topped that, I have no idea. But this is going to be one of the best, hands down. It's targeted right after a 40 to 55-year-old. This is marketing at its best. And if you don't know the history of these guys, um, you need to watch uh, the Dr. Dre specials that are on like Netflix and stuff. It's unbelievable. Um, the Defiant Ones is mind-blowingly good. Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre and what they created. One guy was doing, at the beginning, hip-hop, and the other guy was doing rock and they are two of the most uh, successful of all time that shape music as we know it and then they merged together and they created things like beats headphones and all that stuff billionaires now and um but if you don't know about it uh make sure you check out the defiant ones it's a great uh documentary and if you watch that uh it's a series of, of shows uh if you watch that before the super bowl you will appreciate what happens at the Super Bowl halftime show more than ever. And the Faith Evans story gets even better. Not better, excuse me. That's a terrible thing to say with what I'm about to say. The Faith Evans, allow me to correct it. The Faith Evans story gets deeper and more amazing when you hear the Tupac Notorious B.I.G. storylines through the mid to late 90s. Uh, mind blowing. So I think it's fantastic. I am absolutely okay with it. Um, that's for sure. Now we got a couple of clips. Do you have a couple of clips here that we can hit that we, that we got here for the Eminem and the Kendrick? Do you got those up close? Want to hit them? Yep. All right. Yeah. See the way was swearing when Brendan does it. You guys probably didn't hear that because we push buttons, but. Right? So there you go. You know, that Snoop and Dre uh, coming out of nowhere. They also created Eminem, Mary J. Blige, uh, Kendrick Lamar, too. So let's hit that. Now, the thing about Kendrick Lamar that you have to know is uh, he's younger and he's more recent in his music, still making new music, uh, but really is one of the most poetic of the writers uh, in, in music today. Like, he's hands down. He is in this class. For sure. So I invite you, if you're not a hip hop fan or anything like that, give it a go. And if you can watch the Defiant Ones, that documentary before that, worth it. Absolutely worth it. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, there's been so much that's gone on in the world of music and online streaming. My goodness. 
We need to have a conversation and get a deeper understanding of what is truly going on. So let's talk about that. There is the creative side of it, right? Obviously. Uh, creative from the point of redistributing music. There's a whole new access point, access levels. And whether or not you use Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon Music or any of the other providers out there, the world has access to the entire history of music in like 10 seconds. It's wild when you think about it. All the years that we went looking for records and CDs and all those things, digging deep into crates, trying to find that record so we could hear that song from so many years ago. If you hear it right now, you just hit Shazam on your phone and it tells you what song it is. Like it's a miracle. (laughs) Then you can just touch another button and you could have it. But what happens when people take stands on all this stuff our guest right now joining us is uh, reaching out all the way around the world he's from queensland university of technology dr bondi valdivinos k how did i do bondi with uh with with the, the valdivinos is that okay you nailed it yeah really yeah <laughs> sweet so you are a lecturer school of communication digital media researcher a research center faculty of creative services education social justice all of those things university of technology in queensland thanks for being here this whole uh spotify thing really lands right in your lap doesn't it yeah and thanks for having me on to talk about it i'm really interested to see how the story unfolds and already a lot has happened since last week yeah. So when we first reached out to Bondi, we um, we wanted to uh, have the conversation about Neil Young. Now, since then, Joni Mitchell and others have pulled their music from Spotify. What are you seeing that's going on right now when it comes to this stand against Joe Rogan? There's been a lot of polarization and people dividing into to camps. On the one hand, looking at uh, older rockers like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, and now the guitarist of uh, Bruce Springsteen has also announced that he's going to be taking his music off of Spotify. So on the one hand, there are people looking at at that side of uh, the story. And on the other hand, you see people looking specifically at Joe Rogan and podcasts and whether or not podcast hosts should be able to, you know, talk about what they want and how should uh, misinformation be flagged or taken down. So there are a lot of different dimensions to, to talking about this. And I've spent probably more time than I should have on Twitter today, just kind of trying to get caught up with all the news since, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wild past couple of days. Well, and not only that, you talk about flagging things. Facebook, I hate to use Facebook and Twitter as an example of any moral compass, but Facebook and Twitter and all those, when, when links were put up or conversations around COVID-19 and, uh, alleg- like they must have an algorithm for trigger words, right? Um, it would put a little banner that would say, you know, information center. Now, in a press release that's just come out in the last couple of days, Spotify now has an information center about all things, which is funny. When you think about music, at no point would you walk into a record store back in the day and have to get a health update as you walked into the record store. But in today's world, if you're going to do the broadcast of uh, Joe Rogan, as an example, um, they're, they're now flagging that on Spotify uh, is, that, is that a good move or is that just a Band-Aid to a much deeper wound here? I think a Band-Aid is a better way of looking at it than you know praising Spotify for what they've done. I did check out their uh, COVID misinformation hub today to see what it looked like. And as of right now, as of today, it's just a link that you can click on from listening to one podcast to a page with other podcasts that talk about COVID-19. So you'd imagine someone listening to a podcast would have to stop the podcast they were listening to to listen to some other podcast about COVID-19. It just seems like really the bare minimum when you think about some of the other uh, resources they could have provided or as some are calling for, they could take a more active stance and take down some of these episodes that are more harmful or reaching wider audiences. Good marketing spin on their part. Is that all this is? They're just trying to uh, distract and move along? Seems like it. In the statement released by their CEO, there was an acknowledgement that you know Spotify needs to recognize and acknowledge the important uh, work that's being done in the medical community. But this COVID-19 hub that they've created really doesn't seem like it's going to do much, if anything, uh, to change people's minds. 
when we got in this conversation, Bondi, about um, about Spotify, that time will tell. Subscriptions is really going to be the determining fact here, factor here. And so if they paid $100 million, $20 million a year, the estimate, right? You don't know how it's front-loaded or back-loaded on the contract with Joe Rogan. They're going to have to not only – they're going to have to lose enough subscriptions to make it more cost-effective to drop drop Joe Rogan than it is to – um, lose subscribers. Now, that may sound like a lot of money. Uh, $20 million a year, when you're paying $15 a month, that's a million subscribers. In the grand scheme of all the things, that's a lot, but it's not a ton. In addition to that, the other way around is there might be people that might have actually migrated uh, because now they know about Joe Rogan exclusively on Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. And realistically, I don't see a scenario in which Spotify removes the Joe Rogan experience or uh, even takes down some of the episodes that uh, are being called on by members of the medical community. With an estimated 11 million listeners per episode, it just doesn't seem uh, like a move that they're going to be willing to make. That said, I noticed that on Friday, uh, Spotify was trading at 12% lower uh, as a result, well, seemingly as a result of some of this backlash. And the report that I read said that that was estimated at about $4 billion in market value. So when you weigh that against the $100 million that they paid to acquire the exclusive rights to Joe Rogan, if the stock doesn't go back up, which probably it will over time, this mm-hmm. seems to be a, a response to uh, an event that happened recently. But still, it's it's a significant amount Spotify stands to lose if they don't address this. And if the problem persists and more artists decide they want to join Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, then Spotify is going to have to take more direct action or risk, yeah, losing subscribers. We just had a conversation about why old music is killing it right now. Uh, statistically speaking, one of our um, other podcasters here on our network, uh, his name is Alan Cross, which, by the way, you should check out his podcast. It's the ongoing history of new music. It's dynamite. Um, he talked about how the stats are saying that, you know, it's up around uh, 15% old music, right? Uh, 70% of the music's getting listened to is old music online. Now, that could be a little psychology of everything that we're going through right now. That can be, you know, the the feel-good times or whatever reasons you want to put on it. So this older music, though, has more impact than most would think. Typically, you would think, because we've got another text that's really great here. It says, younger generation, who's Neil Young? Middle-aged people are like, I thought Neil Young was dead, and older generations are, what's Spotify? But the reality is is that the, the, the balance of young people listening to music online has really, really changed here. Um, what, does it take someone who is hot today? Like an Ed Sheeran or a Justin Bieber, or pick anyone from a Dua Lipa from, from this, um, to take a stand for that. Most of those people don't own their, own their music the same way that the old folks do. Yeah, that's a really good thing to think about because if Taylor Swift is the name that comes to mind, and if Taylor Swift were to once again remove her music from Spotify as she has done before for a long period of time, then it's likely that would be enough, make enough of an impact for those who listen to Taylor Swift exclusively using streaming services to decide, yeah, I'm done with Spotify. I'm going to, to move on somewhere else. I think with some of this uh, older music, as you say, there's, there's so much of it available on digital streaming services that yeah, there's, there's really, you're spoiled for choice in a sense. And so if you mm-hmm. wanted to listen to you say it was Creedence Clearwater Revival instead of Neil Young, you know, there's, there's options there or you could just go over to apple music i noticed also today that apple music has added on their front home page on their website that apple music is now the home of neil young and Joni mitchell so they didn't miss a beat capitalizing on this and so if there are fans of uh, neil young out there who are trying to find a place to listen to rocking in the free world i guess apple music is the place to go right now uh, there's a great text comes in and says, what about the parental advisory warnings on albums about swearing? I mean, that was a big fight for a long time to get explicit lyrics put on there, um, which is still in use today with explicit lyrics. I don't know. When I, when I hear that, te- thanks, Jasper, for the text. When I hear that text, though, uh, out loud, I um, explicit lyrics is about the experience and a bit of an ethical choice. Um, misinformation is 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 just different. It seems to be different to me. And I'm all for free speech and I think it would be a real crime if 
the cancel culture sort of experience kicks in here. But at the same time, if it's misinformation on a platform, you know, where does the um, the ethical standard of that company step in? Absolutely. Uh, in my field and the work that I do, misinformation, disinformation has been the buzzword for years now. And particularly in the 2016 and 2020 election, the consequences of, of misinformation and disinformation in the U.S. were, you know, uh, massive in the political spheres, but in the era of COVID, misinformation and disinformation is quite literally costing people their lives. And I agree that when you say it out loud, the stakes are different uh, when flagging explicit lyrics versus advocating on, you know, uh, vaccine disinformation or discussing uh, or discrediting some of the, the efficacy of these vaccines. Adding on to that, the fact that Neil Young and Joni Mitchell are both polio survivors, it really seems like a slap in the face to to be critical of them wanting Spotify to take action, particularly when it comes to vaccines. Well, polio is such a good example, right? I mean, polio was a multi-vax scenario for most people, uh, multi-vax over a long period of time. And, um, and this is a generation that we, as younger people, don't know because it was sort of all fixed right i mean i had my polio shots and it was not even a conversation uh, my mom's dad had it and um and it was one of those things that you know i we've never had to live with and we've almost lost touch with that is is music the way though is is this the stand i mean i can't think of any other ways to do it but you know how else can you you do because this must be a crossroads for so many people yeah. And Neil Young is a perfect example of an artist who's never shied away from taking stands on issues that he feels passionate about. He's been an activist throughout his career, spanning decades now. And it makes sense that this would be an issue that would be a line in the sand. Another really significant uh, moment in our lifetimes, all of us collectively, where if if we don't take decisive action, people are going to continue to get sick. People are going to continue to die. I was asked earlier, uh, speaking to someone else about this, whether it's artists' responsibility to take these streaming platforms like Spotify to task. And I would say to that, no, it's not. It shouldn't be on the backs of artists that uh, Spotify gets its act together and does more to to regulate or to moderate some of this content. But these artists do represent a significant interest both for these platforms and for their subscribers. If people are uh, listening to Spotify because they can find some of their favorite songs from uh, Joni Mitchell or Neil Young or whoever, they will be clued in when these artists take a stand on these issues. So it's not only spreading more awareness, but it might also have an impact on the platform policy, which it seems from Spotify's actions just today it's already having, but I would say to a, to a small extent. Well, worth noting that Spotify is not a North American company. Uh, that's another thing, too, is we can't expect to put sort of our North American life on this. So you are in Queensland. You're in Australia, upside down on the other end of the world. Um, so what is the look from Australians at this? I mean, this sort of sounds like a North American problem, if you will, because it's Neil Young and sort of North American music. I guess if it was Midnight Oil, we would look at it differently. But the um, how do we how does what is the look from Australians on this kind of conversation? Because through COVID, Australia has been through a lot, but this is an American entertainer. Yes, uh, I, I might not be the best person to speak to that as a foreigner. I am uh, an American born living in Australia now. But from some of the questions that I've uh, heard from some of my colleagues here, I think more at issue is Joe Rogan uh, because people down here for the most part, and if there are any Australians listening, I'm, I'm sorry to generalize you, but people seem to know about Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. But uh, I had to explain on the Australian radio this morning uh, a little bit about Joe Rogan experience and, and why this was such a big deal, why this uh, this individual was so influential for people who might not no. And as you mentioned earlier, Shane, it could be that this is this touchstone moment when people who weren't familiar, excuse me, with who Joe Rogan was might start going to check him out. And so there could be a net positive effect for Spotify, given the, the influence that this uh, 
comedian and sports presenter has in the podcasting world and the unfortunate growing number of uh, vaccine critical, I guess, as they're called, or anti-vax people around the world who might see this as as a, a reason to listen to Rogan in the first place. So let's talk about that here before we finish up with uh, Dr. Bondi uh, Valdivinos K, uh, PhD down in Queensland, Australia. Now put on your social justice hat for a second from that area of your expertise. When Morgan Wallen said some nasty things and Saturday Night Live canceled him a few days before he was supposed to perform on the show, he ended up um, increasing sales. And in fact, his album, The Cancel Culture, did not kick in. um, And his album ended up being like the album of the year. So when you speak about these things, work are backfiring. Is this is this a, a temperature check for the state of the world today? It could well be, and I wouldn't say that this was uh, maybe a, a publicity stunt or, or a bid to to get attention on Neil Young's part. But it could be that seeing the surge in popularity, you know, Neil Young is trending on Twitter, and if you were to check some of these streaming met- metrics on other platforms, you might find spikes in uh, listeners to Neil Young, there could be other artists who want to both take a stand against Spotify and make headlines as they take their music off Spotify. It's, it could be a risky move, surely, but it might be something that that gets clicks, gets uh, downloads or streams or, or whatever. I, I'm not familiar with the, the Morgan Waller example that you brought up, but I also thought about the, the Pepsi campaign from a few years back that got a lot of, uh, drew a lot of controversy uh, when it tried to to solve uh, racial injustice with Pepsi, uh, mm. and there were, of course, lots of people on all sides of the issue. But the 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 end result was people were talking about Pepsi in the news cycle for a while, and uh, that has kind of become uh, a, a type of marketing that seems to be effective for better or worse so it's it's interesting to see what will happen as a result of this and who else is going to join in and what that might have uh, an impact on but as of right now i i think neil young has his heart in the right place and i think that uh artists who join him in trying to take their music off of spotify will be able to defend their decisions by mentioning that it is unprecedented the times that we live in and the the issue that they're choosing to take a stand on COVID-19 vaccine information is worthwhile. We, uh, we often need to remember that we as consumers are often consuming. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we just consuming and um, not to be forgotten all this Any last takeaways here, Bonnie, before we, uh, before we go. Well, I think that is a really important point that you just brought up uh, Shane that as, as media consumers, we should always be seeking out information. And even if you click on Spotify's misinformation banner that takes you to listen to some other COVID podcasts, you can also seek out information wherever you are in the world. And the, the Canadian health services, the American health services, the Swedish health services or the Australian health services that are putting out reliable information about COVID-19 should always be the first stop when trying to be reliably informed. So until Spotify does more and includes more links, it's it's on the, the consumers to really keep themselves up to date. How about that, hey? Our solution to this problem is to encourage you to use our platform more, not to be forgotten. Um, thank you so much. Bondi K is uh, down in Queensland. Long list of credentials. Your, that business card's big. I appreciate that. I don't know how you move from the United States down to Australia with all those big bugs, uh, but I really do. I won't judge you. I'll judge you a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and making time for us here on The Shift. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great rest of your night. This is The Shift Podcast. There's a story that I fumbled across today that basically says, why are rich people smoking toad venom? I found it on InStyle. Um, the trendy and potent psychedelic drug has actually become impressive mental health benefits too. So toad venom, what is toad venom? Well, apparently uh, it's something that you can smoke and it's going to give you psychedelics psychedelic experience man uh 
So it only seemed appropriate here on Psychedelic Sunday to ask this question for you, 877-399-9898. You know, has it ever been part of your, your, your thing? The psychedelics. Has it changed your life? Has it inspired you, man? Has it ever done anything like that for you? I'm curious. And we are going to have a legitimate conversation about this, about toad venom. We're also going to have a conversation about ayahuasca, if you don't know what that is. And there have been some reports of uh, the medical use of psychedelics these days. So maybe there is more to tap into. Toad venom sounds really gross, though. I'm not alone on that. Am I, BK? No. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what toad venom is, but it doesn't have the most appealing name. Both the word toad mm. and venom are, you know, they have... Uh, Interesting connotation, like venom. I don't know if I want to put anything called venom in me, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So it's 5-MeO-DMT, a chemical found within the venom of the Bufo alvarius, commonly called the Sonoran Desert Toad or the Colorado River Toad. As you can imagine, it's a big toad that can be found in the Sonoran Desert <laughs> or around the Colorado River, California and Arizona, south to Mexico. Uh, this isn't the backyard toe that um, you've been warmed could, like, poison your dog or anything like that. That's a cane toad. Apparently, that's a thing. The venom of the Bufo alvarius will simply catapult your mind into a heightened level of consciousness, like a rocket blasting into outer space at the speed of light. It's quoted as. So, many people already with familiar with psychedelics like psilocybin and mushrooms, LSD, ketamine, DMT, all of those for recreational use, medical use to some of them, refer to the toad venom, the power, or toad venom. (laughs) So how does it work? It contains a molecule like most classic psychedelics, such as LST and psilocybin, that binds to your serotonin receptors. Happy chemical. And that's how it creates a psychedelic journey when it's smoked or vaped. Um, there's still more research to be done about the uh, toad venom, but as uh, tryptamine, like psilocybin and LSD, it can create a sense of unity, euphoria, and ego dissolution. Insert ayahuasca conversation. It tends to be far more intense, quoted from a doctor, and far shorter, about 20 minutes versus four hours for psilocybin, than other psychedelics. So all of this is pretty remarkable. It has the power, quoted from uh, from this article with the doctor, it has the power to shift a person's perspective. It's quite remarkable. People who are skeptical of spirituality and religious faith prior to use have experienced the effects of 5-MeO-DMT. <laughs> it's not a very marketable name. Um, as a window into the sacred and a means to connect with unitary consciousness and sometimes leads to a better understanding of one's place in the universe. Interesting. So, Mike Tyson describes what it's like to smoke toad venom. The toad is where you, um, I won't say you see it, but you feel it so much that you do, it appears to you. Yeah. You know, your, your ancestors... Your, your, your ego death, you experience ego death, and that's very scary. In the world, knowing your deepest secrets, you wouldn't want them to know if they knew they would look at you different. And then you have the feeling that everyone knows everything Aye. about you. And it's scary. To, it's just scary. Man, it's just a trip. It's just, you see your ancestors, you may see some great-grandparents, you might see some ancestors you never even met before, and it, it's just nuts, man. I am curious. He was high on it at the moment <laughs> of that interview. Possibly. Possibly. Um, sounds quite fantastical, doesn't it? I would say. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of acid and MDA ecstasy now as a teen. I have no desire to go back, says Catherine. Chocolate does me fine. But that, that's, that ego part, see, that's the big one. That's the one that gets most people, right? What is ego? Simply describe the word of ego is nothing more than a mask. 
It's a mask. It's like a costume. It's a mask we put on to fit in. What is your ego? Oh, you, you have a fragile ego. You hurt my ego. Well, how would you hurt someone's ego? Well, you usually just sort of somehow diminish them, right? So vanity is one of those things when you walk into a party, you try to look good, your zipper's undone. They're like, ha ha, your zipper's undone. That's your ego. That hurts your ego. I was supposed to look good, which is the fear of looking bad. So what happens if you could just drop all the ego from your life? Well, that would be the mask that we wear all day, every day. The mask of I am who I should be, or I behave like I should, instead of the belief is your true self. So there's a lot of psychology behind this that I am not qualified to talk about, but, you know, classic conditioning and all the things we've been conditioned all of our lives. You're a good boy. You're a good girl. Da, 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 da. You should get a job with a pension, right? You should get a good trade. You should be a doctor because your parents were doctors. All of those things. So, but if you could live in a world where you could shatter that ego and make it all go away, where you didn't care what anybody thought, where you could live your life and be exactly who you are. Now, we all have things in our lives that we wish we could be. We have parents who put pressure on us. We have cultural expectations, right? Responsibilities financially to our families. So if we were to go and be able to drop all of that, imagine the freedom that would come from it. This is where ayahuasca steps in. South America, ayahuasca is a root that gets basically brewed into a tea. And what people do is they will book these trips to where it is legal. And you will go down there and you will go basically stay in a yurt or a tent or a, something like that. And there's all kinds of ceremony around it and it's monitored you're taken care of and they brew the ayahuasca you drink the ayahuasca and you have your trip your brain confronts all of the things that you're afraid of and shatters the ego is what people say and all kinds of people have different experiences with this an awful lot of people who have a hard time getting through it um or getting through life without, you know, expectations and fear and all those things, they will feel like you can turn to that. I have a couple of friends that have suggested and asked, hey, do you want to go to South America and do the ayahuasca trip? Now, here's the catch with the ego thing. You better be ready to check your ego at the door real quick. Because if you go um, drink the ayahuasca tea and go through one of these experiences, which happens over the course of a bunch of days, um, if that's the case... And you're looking to reorganize your brain, like rewire your brain. That's what they sort of say. It's going to rewire the old neural pathways. It's like hitting the hard reset. You better be ready to drop the ego because the two biggest consequences of drinking ayahuasca tea is vomiting your brains out. That's why you do it in a tent outside where there's no one else around. Nobody cares because everyone else is like on the moon. The other one would be diarrhea. And your body literally purges all of the toxins and grossness um, that's in it, literally all of it. So you better be ready to crap your pants because that's what happens. But it's not about ego. Everybody happens to all kinds of people. So now, is the toad venom legal? It's classified as a Schedule One controlled substance in the United States. It is legal in Canada and Mexico, according to this article. Now, is it safe? Of course, they all come with all kinds of risks, but then starts the conversation is, could it be medical? Could it help us? Could it save us? Could it help us hit that hard reset that we'd all love to hit? Peace, love, man. It was a peaceful, loving time. We could use some of that now, man. We could use a hard reset. It's tempting. I find it actually quite tempting. I'm not a drugs guy, but I do find it quite tempting. The thought of you know, what if I could set myself free, man? Well, what if I hit the hard reset and the uh, rewiring of my brain short circuits somehow? I'm concerned about that, but that's me. Maybe that's part of my ego, in fact, that I don't want to live my life that way if something does go sideways. Now, the medical benefits of all of these things have started to sort of kick in. And I want to talk about that too. Good evening, gentlemen. Lyle says I tried marijuana cocaine about 50 years ago 
I haven't uh, done any since 1975. Not interested. Priorities have changed. And I'm an old guy now. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. Oh, that was me. I can fix that. Thanks for the email, whoever sent it, though. Um, never heard of toad venom. Saw a doctor talk about trying psilocybin uh, with a, a leader. It's a spiritual leader in South America. Um, most of these things, and, and this is where that conversation about the legalization of drugs comes in, and it's an interesting one. So if you were to talk about opiates from this perspective, right, the experience of opiates is a natural thing, and we're talking like natural opium. It, it's predictable. You know what it is, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, but you know what it is that you're consuming. You know what doesn't happen is you don't have someone um, using filler products and chemicals like gasoline and whatever else inside your toad venom, right, in order to make more money, or inside your ayahuasca root to save and make more money. That doesn't happen. But it does happen with opiates because they cut it and cut it and cut it to dilute it down, and you never know what you're going to get. So isn't it interesting when you look at the conversation around opioids and then you, if you could go and actually just have opiates be opiates and not have it be tainted by legalizing and securing the supply line, that's interesting. It also takes away all of the, the money and the gangs and the, you know, drug trafficking and human trafficking related to it and all that stuff. Now, most people would argue that criminals are criminals and those criminals are still going to go and do criminal things, whether it's legalizing opioids or, or not. We've had many conversations and I do invite you to go backwards in the podcasts and Garth Mullins, just give it a search. You're going to find them. He has some amazing conversations around legalizing opioids. Another text comes in and says a poop filled, puke filled two to three day trip. That's what it is. That's ayahuasca. I've done LSD and eight hours is enough. Never mind the rest. I can't imagine that eight hours. I've never been high like that, though, so I guess I don't really have a reference point. I just always imagine the people that, you know, really lose their mind and, you know, the line between the hardwood and the carpet is coming to get them. <laughs> like, like, I'm getting chased down by the carpet, man. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always been curious, but never done. Only because, a lot like you, the exact same thing you were saying there earlier, maybe it is an ego thing, but yeah, I wouldn't want to be restructured a certain way. And yeah. I feel that I do have, like, I can even, I have a sensitivity to marijuana. I have a sensitivity to alcohol. If I have a sensitivity to the more benign ones, do I have a sensitivity to a psychedelic like is it going to rewire me in a way that I don't want to be that's always been my concern which is why I mm -hmm. haven't really uh, haven't really delved into it too terribly much now I do subscribe to the notion that everything that we need in life is provided to us on this planet I do subscribe to that and I do subscribe to the notion that um, you're also perfect as you are right so ego or not that it's up to us to do the work. And I've always been, and this I'm, it's going to sound judgy, but this is what honestly goes on in my brain. Is it a shortcut for the hard work? I've always wondered that. Is it just a shortcut for the hard work? And I wish that we had time here on the show more often to talk about what I, what I like to write about and the experience of being human and how that, you know, collapses into language and all these, these really cool things. And I don't, um, it's a much larger conversation than this. The ego conversation is a big one, though. It's a big one. And most of us don't realize how much the ego drives us, right? And that's basically fear. It's the fear of missing out, fear of looking bad, um, you know, the fear of being not left behind. And that really is what drives us. I mean, most of us wear nice clothes so we get welcomed into our world. Whether that is I'm a goth person or I'm a, a, a country music lover and I wear my belt buckle or or whether it is I like to be preppy and wear my suit to work. Most of us conform in order to fit in. So you can see how this starts to really grow. And maybe the answer is toad venom. Well, there are some stories here that we wanted to get into on psychedelic drug therapy because there has been some articles that have come out and some research that's come out about it being beneficial. This one is, I think, Mike Drolet. Let's hit that one, okay? 
It's meant to mimic a sensory deprivation tank, blindfold headphones, and as you sit back in the zero-gravity chair, the psychedelic effects of ketamine take hold. Tune in and drop out. In the 1960s, recreational LSD pioneer Timothy Leary spurred an entire generation to embrace cultural change through psychedelics. And while the counterculture movement got high, the U.S. and Canadian governments weren't feeling the same buzz. All research into the clinical benefits of psychedelics ceased, and the drugs went further underground. That is, until recent years, when scientists began looking for alternatives to antidepressants. The need exists because there are so many people struggling with depression and anxiety and other mental health conditions. MDMA, known on the street as ecstasy or molly, has shown promise in treating PTSD, as have clinical trials looking at psilocybin or magic mushrooms to treat depression. The only psychedelic legal for medicinal use in Canada, ketamine, is the primary drug being used at Toronto's field trip, the first psychedelic-enhanced therapy clinic in Canada, aimed at patients for whom antidepressants have stopped working. Unlike pills like Prozac, which are taken daily, the psychedelic model involves multiple sessions where patients are dosed and then treated. The current model is, um, you know, we're going to give you pharmaceuticals. They're going to numb your experiences. So we're going to just numb your sadness. We're going to also simultaneously numb your joy. And what we're trying to do is rewire the brain in a healthy way. And you need a therapist guiding you to do that. Canadians are among the highest consumers of antidepressants in the world, trailing only the U.S., Iceland, and Australia. But antidepressants, because of their side effects, are as controversial as they are popular which in turn has fueled interest in largely unproven psychedelics. We have almost no long-term research. So just because you feel incredible, you know, right after a trip or even a week after a trip doesn't tell us anything about what's going to happen to you in six months, a year, or, or longer. Canadian researchers in the 50s were digging for those answers. Almost seven decades later, the one in 10 Canadians who rely on antidepressants are hoping today's doctors find what they were looking for. Mike Trelake, Global News, Toronto. Now, since then, some things have changed um, to be able to be used. A couple of text messages before we share that, though. Catherine says, no acid. You see demons in the mirror. Uh, that's a lot of fun. And the curtains can freak you out. Another text that's unnamed says this. It says, I'd like to try ayahuasca with a qualified overseer. Preparation before and after. However, a friend of mine did try ayahuasca in BC. Four months later, he committed suicide. Was there any connection to that? No idea. That's just it, right? You don't know. It might have been inevitable. I mean, but the whole, the um, the whole uh, point of of that that might have been one last attempt to try to hit the reset, as it gets talked about. Well, certainly the pain of all that is hard on everybody. Thank you for sharing your heart there. Um, but I think we all know that there is no perfect switch. Healthcare advocates have been calling it a major breakthrough, though. Aaron MacArthur has this quick report before we're done. Uh, Health Canada has given the green light for psychedelic drugs like MDMA and magic mushrooms to be used for medical purposes. So that was amazing, but I never want to do it again. Lori Brooks was one of a handful of Canadians who have had access to psychedelic therapy, using psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, to help her through her terminal cancer diagnosis. Despite any misgivings, it worked. It allowed me to not worry about what is coming tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. Now, Health Canada has expanded the treatment option to more Canadians. Doctors can now apply for special access to psychedelics to treat a host of conditions on a case-by-case basis. Companies that manufacture the medication say this is a huge step in the right direction. It's a very, very strict application. It has to come from a physician and or a therapist, and it has to tick many boxes. Um, You have to be severe or in a life-threatening situation. You have to have tried everything else. Generally, special access permits are only approved for use once a treatment is far enough down the road of its clinical trial. Arguably, the option farthest along is using MDMA to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. My partner, who's a psychiatrist, um, has looked me in the eye and says psychedelics are going to transform her profession as a psychiatrist. And there's real progress being made with psilocybin as well, on everything from anxiety to depression to cluster headaches. Advocates say while Health Canada has opened the door, there are still many questions about who the drug can be prescribed to, 
and when they'll qualify. They need to be very clear on what indications would allow access. Right? That shouldn't be something that a bureaucrat or a piece of paper should decide. It should be doctors deciding. Under the new rules, which went into effect January 5th, Health Canada will now have 48 hours to respond to a request from a physician to use psychedelic therapy. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. One last text here with a conversation around toad venom, the psychedelic, psychedelics and other mind-altering substances, Jasper says, work because we produce them in small amounts naturally and because the plants and mushrooms and toads come from our distant relatives. I think there are helpful and harmful ways to use them, and I would be willing to try them given the right circumstances. Thank you very much, Jasper. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.